0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Nadia Alam joins us, family physician, former president of the Ontario Medical Association. And in April, we had uh, Dr. Alam on this program, and and, and she talked about a story that touched so many people across this country, and that is she came out of an ICU, ICU unit at the hospital and interacted with a 72-year-old COVID patient. Dr. Allen, good to have you back on the show. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you very much for having me back, Mr. Green.
0: I, th- well, I thought we are doing this on a first-name basis with me. <laughs>
1: All right, Roy, but then you okay. do call me Nadia.
0: <laughs> okay, Nadia. Just remind us, I mean, I'm sure that most people remember that, that incident with that COVID patient, but just remind us again, please, because it's such a great story how it happened.
1: So I was um, in the middle of a very long shift on call. I was um, providing anesthesia at our local hospital. And like many other community hospitals in, across the province, um, this gentleman had been admitted with worsening, uh, in a, or worsening ability to breathe. And it turned out it was because he had COVID-19 pneumonia. And he was struggling and struggling. They called me in because he had gotten to the point where he was kind of at a crossroads if he there was a high chance that he would pass away from this pneumonia one of the ways that we could potentially give him a fighting chance was by putting him on life support putting him on a ventilator and so I was called in to intubate him and and I went in garbed in my gear, wearing a hood, wearing goggles, wearing an N95 face mask, a gown, double gloves, all of that to protect myself while I do what's considered one of the most riskiest procedures. When you intubate a patient, there's a, there's a, it raises the risk of you catching COVID yourself. And that's why you have to wear all that protective equipment. I went in and I spoke to him and he was 70 something years old. And had a number of chronic diseases, and we talked. We talked about what going on the ventilator looked like. I answered his questions. And I told him, honestly, that when a patient with COVID-19, particularly an elderly, complex patient with COVID-19, ends up on a ventilator, their chance of mortality is pretty high. Their chance of dying is pretty high. And he looked at me and he said... If I'm going to die, then I want to die looking at the sky. And so he chose not to be intubated. He chose to try and fight it out on his own terms. And so I would visit him occasionally after that and, and listen to him talk and, and watch him breathe and pray with him that he would survive the episode.
0: What a story. And, and I know that you looked at the sky with him and it, these, are, these are the stories that actually, I think, more than perhaps even statistics, certainly more than statistics, impact on human beings. You're, it's just an amazing story, and, and the human touch matters so much. So, Nadia, as, as former president of the Ontario Medical Association, family physician, what are you recommending concerning lockdowns and refraining from even small family gatherings is concerned? What, what makes sense to you?
1: The basics, the basics are what makes sense to me. I know how quickly this virus passes. I've had patients who've had dinners with friends only to find out that they've got COVID-19 and it runs through their family, runs through their friends, runs through their friends' friends. The only way to break that cycle is by keeping our social bubbles small. I was thinking about it the other day and I realized our, our whole language has changed. We have words and phrases now that we never had before. We've got flattening the curve and social bubbles and all of that. And um, and with this new lexicon comes a new way of living. We've all got to live smaller lives in the interest of protecting one another. It's extraordinary to me how the way to help each other, the best thing we can do for one another, to keep one another safe, to keep our community safe, is by staying away from one another
0: it's remarkable um you know we so i'm listening to what you're saying and i understand what you're saying and at the same time i uh, was at a mall yesterday briefly okay. two levels of that mall were jammed with vehicles yeah. standing outside waiting to get in took 30 minutes because they were allowing one person in for every person who exited the mall so at the same time as we're saying, as you know, you're explaining what your view is of what needs to happen based on your experience and your professionalism, at the same time, we have these situations happening, people going in, in, in large numbers and gathering in large numbers. They have no idea who they are. They, they they don't know, you know, anyone who's in that lineup or maybe in the mall or other places. So there's there's a disconnect, and it's understandable that a significant percentage of the population says... Make make sense of this for me, please.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with fatigue. We've been living with COVID-19 around the world for about a year in Canada. We've been living with it since March. And I think people are tired. People are tired of having to follow these extra rules because they, they take up space. They take up time. They take up bandwidth have to constantly remember to wash your hands, to, to not stay out, to, to change your plans, change your life, to keep your lives smaller, to keep your social bubbles tighter, to, to not go out, to not do what you normally do around the holiday season. This is, this is a big time of year for a lot of people. This is sometimes the only break they get from work during the year. And so they naturally yearn to to be with their families, to be with their loved ones. Sometimes, larger families. This is the only time of the year they get together. But I, and I I understand that, and I yearn for it myself. I have a huge family. I have cousins and aunts and uncles, um, and grand aunts and uncles whom I haven't seen in a very long time. And yet, our hospital system is almost overwhelmed. On average it's at 90% capacity and that means about some of the hospitals across Ontario are full and that means if you get COVID and are very sick, if you have a heart attack and are need to be in hospital, if you have a stroke and need to be in hospital, if you catch an and you need to be in hospital, there is no room for you. There are some hospitals that still have space and in fact across hospitals, they're leaning in trying to help one another so that if a patient is sick in a hospital where they've run out of room, they're going to get transferred to another hospital in a different city so that at least they have space somewhere where they can get the help that they need. So I'm looking at both of it and I I recognize that everybody's tired, but I'm going to beg them just like other doctors are out there begging patients, begging their communities this year, this one Christmas season, this one New Year's Eve, please don't have parties. Please don't have big dinners with friends and family. Please do not have. do what you usually do. Sacrifice this one time so that our hospital system does not get overwhelmed come the New Year, because then we'll have to make terrible choices and None of us want to make those kinds of choices.
0: When it comes to this idea of mutations of this virus, and it's got a lot of people talking and thinking, that was expected, wasn't it?
1: It often does happen. Um, We know that when COVID-19 first came out, there was more than one strain of it. And so the news that there are further strains of it is not that surprising we'll see what the data shows about how this strain compares to the one that has been circulating, whether it's more severe, whether it's less severe, because there can be some differences between strains of a virus. The flu, for example, has different strains. Most viruses out there have different strains. So again, it's no surprise that COVID-19 also has different strains.
0: Mm -hmm. Preliminary opinion seems to be that uh, they don't expect these are the virologists in the UK don't expect uh, that this new mutation is going to cause any issues as far as the vaccine is concerned or the vaccines are concerned. What's your sense about uh, the efficacy of vaccines? It's a controversial issue.
1: It isn't. In a way, it's controversial. The efficacy of the vaccine isn't under controversy. The vaccine seems to be working very well in in a number of studies. What has been controversial, I think, has been the reception of the vaccine, the way all the red tape was set aside just so that the world could hone in on not just developing this vaccine, but putting it through um, all of the testing channels, putting it through all of the trials that are required so that we could see which ones worked, which ones didn't allowing more than one vaccine developer to work on it at the same time, right? This was an extraordinary effort around the world. Normally, that's not what happens when vaccines are developed. And that's no, it's, why it, it's come on the market so quickly. But I think the speed of that has kind of frightened people too. Yes. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the, the concern rising. That's where we're seeing a lot of the, the fear,
0: which really is a segue into the next question I have for you, and the fear is a byproduct, I think, in, in many people, a byproduct of the mental health um, individuals are experiencing now, the the strain and the emotional strain they're they're experiencing. Would you just address that issue of mental health, and perhaps uh, maybe it's reflect- reflected in in the questions you receive from your own patients?
1: Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up because what we do know is that um, after large-scale issues, large-scale events, so that includes things like wars, that includes things like um, the school shootings, it includes things like pandemics, right? epidemics, pandemics, whether it's within a country or whether it's across the world, what we also see is that following that immediate mortality and morbidity of that initial event, you get subsequent waves. You get a wave of the psychosocial burden of of the event itself, emergence of worsening or new mental illness, increasing um, levels of mental distress, right? So not necessarily that people get depressed and anxious, but they're just experiencing more stress than before. Um, you see relapses in people with established mental illness. This all contri- and this is all very well described in, in research in disaster mental health. And part of it has to do with the uncertain prognosis, the perceived inadequate responses, shortages, right? And we've seen shortages because of COVID-19. We've seen shortages of testing supplies, doctors nurses psws we've seen shortages of ppe we've seen shortages of medications for a while There, pharmacies could only sell 30 days of medication at a time because the global supply chains were so disrupted we see people struggling with unfamiliar public health measures that that stress personal freedoms we see financial losses people are struggling out there and and because of that People with precarious livelihoods, or um, or others, including healthcare workers.
0: If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.